sake. And we are live once again. Welcome to the FFS podcast. I'm your host Praddy and this is episode 24 part 15. Yeah, we've done 15 or this is the 15th one. Welcome back to those of you who've been listening all the way from part 1. For staying for so long. Uh if you've been listening all the way from then and for those of you who've just joined us, I'll give you a brief introduction of how this special episode is going to be structured. So basically throughout the month of January I'll be interviewing a whole load of guests who are fans of various clubs from across the world and we'll be talking about topics of their choice basically that something that they're more passionate about that they wanted to talk about for a long time but really haven't had the opportunity to so I've had minimal to no to no involvement in most of these topics in this probably I've had some involvement I'm not going to lie there but uh so that's how the the episode is going to be largely structured and at each after each part i'm going to ask my guests what their favorite moments were from not only 2019 but also from the past decade because surprisingly we are in 2020 uh whoever thought we'd get here well i for one didn't think so at least in 2012 so here we are nonetheless and today we're going to do something different which is i mean we've spoken a large part about clubs in the premier league for some part we've spoken about spoken to people who are fans of la liga teams barcelona and real madrid in particular because they are probably are arguably the largest two clubs in the world and now we're going to shift our attention to the bundesliga and to a another giant there called bayern munich i was just about to, i was just caught up there between munchen and munich and yeah i got caught my throat but yeah bayern munich or Bayern München. So, to help me talk about this club and joining me on this podcast is a Bayern München fan, Vijay. Vijay, would you like to introduce yourself? I have no problem doing that, Paddy. What's up, everyone? I'm Vijay. I'm a Bayern München fan from 2008, and I'm basically from Bengaluru, India. And I'm a founder of the fan club of Bengaluru FC called the West Block Blues. But that's enough about me. I'm here to talk about Bayern more than Bengaluru FC. Maybe Pradi has something else lined up on another day for Bengaluru FC. Isn't that right, Pradi? Yeah, I mean definitely. We'd uh, we'd love to do something more local. And I mean, it's it's just so like surprising when someone says Bengaluru because I've also been born up there, but I can never say Bengaluru. I'm always Bangalore, Bangalore, Bangalore. So it's like when you said Bengaluru, I was like, oh, what are you talking about? But it's like, okay, no, no, I know the place. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, let's shift our attention to the German giants, man. Uh, it's been obviously a tumultuous year. That is 2019 for Bayern Munich, but the decade has brought ups and downs. I think more ups and few downs, probably in the European competitions. More ups, obviously, in the league itself. But let's talk about the past year, right? Uh, Niko Kovac as your manager. There were a lot of there's a lot of friction, at least from fans, about. his appointment the way he was playing the style of the structure the style of play and obviously that things didn't end well for him he got the sack and we got hansi flick who was his assistant manager if i'm not mistaken obviously you'll correct me if i'm wrong i i let me confess that i don't watch too much of bundesliga but i do only catch probably the more important games which is bayern munich and borussia dortmund so but obviously there's been a little yeah, so emphasis I- Wait, wait, wait. So there's been a little sorry. 
Sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to get this last question before you, I can get your thoughts. So there's been a lot more emphasis on youth. Uh, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on how you feel about this, like implementation of this injection of youth into the squad. So and first things first, Hansi Flick joined the season as the assistant coach. Last season it was Herman Gerland along with Nico Kovac's brother, Robert Kovac. This season, to replace Herman Gelan because he's gone back to the youth development uh, department, Hansi Flick has been brought in. And yeah, as you mentioned, after Kovac got the sack, thank God he did, in my opinion, uh, Hansi Flick has taken over as interim coach. Now, as far as youth players are concerned, I'm very, very ecstatic because, like you mentioned, uh, like most people would know, it's always a proud thing to see a youth player from the club you support rise up the ranks and make it. And most people wouldn't know this because they don't really, um, first of all, uh, not, not many people follow Bayern Munich. On top of that, following the youth is another ball game on its own. But we have some of the best youth we've ever had in a very, very long time. I could say that since the since the generation of Homers, Alaba, Muller, Batstuber, this is our youth since then. And it's been almost 10 years since then. So you can imagine how long it's taken to get a really good batch of good youngsters in. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, like, we all talk about decade as being such a long time, but there's so much that can happen in that, like, that decade, right, on the 10-year period. Uh, obviously, like you said, there, but I mean, why is it taken, first of all, let me ask you, why is it taken so long for talent to be brought into the squad is it because the development phase takes so much time the gestation period for youth development is taken so long or do you feel that it's from more from a managerial perspective that they didn't feel that the youth was ready or they didn't have a philosophy of injecting or promoting youth through the ranks and into the first team squad it's a mix of everything to be honest because the thing is Bayern is a team that is known to have youth players in some form or the other involved in the squad you, if you look at uh, from the, from Lahm and Schweinsteiger in the olden days, Seth Meyer, Franz Beckenbauer, if I'm not wrong as well. So there has always been some youth involvement in the in the squad. The, the most notable I could say are Lahm, Schweinsteiger, Muller, Alaba, Barstuber when he was around. So all these are very well known youth players who had made it at Bayern Munich. Now the thing is, Bayern as a club reached unprecedented heights with the treble back in 2012-13. And to sustain itself, you know, it's not easy when you have to stay at that level. So you need to have world elite talents coming in. At the same time, if you have to have youth coming in, those youths need to be at an incredibly high level, which they were not. They were just not good enough. And it's unfortunate that at a time when, you know, we had Pep Guardiola at the helm and Eric Ten Hag, who is now who is known as I mean, who is now known for being the coach of Ajax, was our reserves coach. He did he did some pretty good things with uh, arguably some pretty mediocre youth at the time, and it's, it's, it shows in the fact that you know I don't blame Pep for not trusting youth enough because the fact of the matter is the youth were not good enough in comparison to what we have right now, and <clears throat> now I really think the youth need to be given a chance. Because the whole transfer market has just been destroyed. We have players going at 70, 80, just like the, to make 70, 80 million as if they're peanuts. And, and such big money is also thrown on mediocre players. So 
So you can imagine why you why injecting youth is just as important. But to be able to do that, the manager needs to have this thought in mind that yes, I will give my youth a chance. And when it comes to Niko Kovac, it was a mix of everything. I think he might wanted to wanted to try using youth, but his job was on the line. And well, my Bayern Munich has never been known to be a manager's club at all. You have to work with what you get, and it's not easy to do that. Pep did it. You did it. Louis Van Gaal did it. Till the, till obviously Van Gaal got sacked. So there are always challenges that come at a club like Bayern Munich where you have to work with what you get, and you don't really get what you want for the most part. Because, for example, when Tony Cruz was sold, it wasn't uh, Pep Guardiola's idea as much as most people believe. It was because the club and it was because the club board and. Tony Cruz weren't able to come and agree, come into an agreement about the wages, and he was a youth player. There's a lot of factors that need to be looked at, and I think it has more to do with an individual case-to-case type of thing than any standardized reasoning. Yeah, I mean, like you brought up a lot of points, and most of which is kind of answering the questions I was wanting to ask later on. But like when you mentioned Pep Guardiola and Eric Ten Hag, right? Eric Ten Hag. now in ajax promoting youth the obviously ajax academy is way different i guess and i think it's it, i think half of their players if not more are academy players so you know it, like i can't say that he kind of forced youth into the first team it, it's always been ajax's philosophy to have the academy players play as part of the first team but you know i mean like you, it's a, it's funny because not funny rather it, it's surprising or refreshing because you mentioned that the youth were not good enough whereas because i wanted to ask you especially when pep guardiola was your manager you know you can see it with city right now that he doesn't really promote as many youth players as people would like to uh he didn't promote jaden sancho now we see him flourishing in borussia dortmund he keeps saying he wants to promote phil foden but okay maybe now we're slowly seeing it given the davis silva is retiring but you very sparse performances with foden maybe in the smaller cup competitions as well so uh that's that's kind of what i wanted to ask but you kind of answered it because you said that the youth wasn't good enough so maybe that's one reason why pep didn't really force the issue with when it came to promoting youth uh um, with with uh, just come just talk about this one point with regard to foden because i've seen foden a little closely in comparison to most people considering the fact that uh, he played in the under 17 world cup in india the boys are phenomenal talent but look at how stacked city already are is it really going to be that easy to just give foden a spot and tell the other established players that listen i need to play this boy because he's good and give him time while the others are like i'm just as good why should he get the chance when i'm this good so he's also in a tough spot and football is a result oriented business yeah and can you kind of echoed the voice of what pep guardiola also said that because the pressure is so much on the league that the league isn't it's kind of very difficult to win in in england now at least in the past couple of years with liverpool also pressing pushing uh, city for the title uh, that he has to kind of play his best team which is a lot but i could also argue that maybe he shouldn't he couldn't have or he shouldn't have gone and bought someone else because pep guardiola is known to be like a serial spender but he shouldn't have got a maybe promoted phil foden instead rather than go out and spend money for a midfielder that i mean that's the argument i would have made before the, they had 
they had the team that they have right now but with the current team you can make the like like you said it's very difficult for even a generational talent even sitting on the in the academy uh, kind of try and promote him because the players you have are world class and you now kind of have now now it's going to be interesting that we've done, but let's okay wait let me hold on uh, we're not going to talk about manchester city let me talk to let, let me let's get back to bayern munich and uh, i kind of sorry if i digress too much but talking about pep guardiola i mean we spoke about how much he spends and everything but did you but like i said it was refreshing to hear you say that the youth wasn't good enough but the kind of focus that i want to bring to right now is that yesterday or yesterday from where we record when we were recording this bayern munich played a friendly against nuremberg and obviously flick had not the first team squad i think some of them were injured but had a lot of youth products or youth academy players in the training and then obviously played them in the match which bayern unfortunately lost right and yeah. when i was looking at a new as a neutral looking at the scores and then looking at the reactions from the bayern munich fans on twitter there was a lot of i wouldn't say hatred but a lot of negativity about playing the youth they thought maybe that this because they lost maybe that was emotional side of things coming out and people were like how, why did he play him why could not play it someone else more someone more experienced stuff like that but like you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that you should be proud of the youth being played given that they've been born and brought up in the city or been there for for ages so why do you think that there was a negative reaction towards the youth being played yesterday <laughs> twitter is always one polarizing place one person one person calls one player overrated one person calls the other player or the same player underrated there is no possible consensus the thing is so like i said some of these ta- talents are actually really really good like among the best batch of talents we've had since since the past 10 years and i don't know why people have this sudden expectation that you know he's that good he should be able to hold up I'll take an example. Lucas May was being slagged off by a lot of users on Twitter after the loss, and I personally found that um, I'm I'm trying my uh, let this be on record. I'm trying to or not abuse, but I found that utter like to be utter bullshit. The boy has not played a single minute with the senior team since Niko Kovac came in. He had got two. He had got a run out of about two to three games under Yu Pankes. that man's the same by the way and for offer more than one and a half seasons now he's not had a single minute in the senior team now how do you expect a player to do to just be keep uh, you have the flow going in oh and one more thing is when we played newenberg yesterday it was a, it was a game of two halves because the first half we played more, we played most of the senior team players and the second half was just you along with ulrike in goal so you can imagine why we got the drubbing in the second half now if people expect all if if people expect a team full of you to go against a senior team or even even if it's a nuremberg or let's say even a an a, a paderborn who are also relegation battlers is it really fair on the you to uh, to expect them to hold on to, to to hold on to a result against a team that plays in the bundesliga i suppose not i mean like you you raise a fair question i mean it's expecting a lot and i mean a friendly if i mean when are you going to play the youth if not for a friendly right i can understand if it was like a big match thing and then 
putting the youth in would probably be naive and nobody really does that unless you're like a Jurgen Klopp who wants to lose that particular cup. But I mean, the fact that it was a friendly and you look at all these pre-seasons when they go on tour, you see a lot of youth being promoted and people are like, oh, will he break into the first team? There's a lot of expectations there when in, in reality they don't. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I suppose I, I'll have to agree with you in the fact that if if a first team kind of or a strong side does struggle, you can't expect your youth to do much better. Sure, maybe once in a blue moon, they might do the impossible and turn a result around. But it's kind of being slightly, uh, I, I'm, I don't have the word for it, but kind of expecting more than what it, could, it is really. So... Uh, I completely agree with that. But, uh, I, I mean, you talking about my and, like, even I've read on Twitter that people calling Alfonso Davies, like, the best left-back in the world right now. And maybe, yeah, and like you said, the talent is there. Uh, so, perhaps maybe with more nurturing and development under Flick, it's possible. But talking about Kovac, and you mentioned that, you know, he, like, okay, I'm going to ask you this and probably you've answered it partially. Why do you think he was so reluctant to play the youth? Was it simply because his job was on the line? Or do you think he was the kind of manager that didn't really or doesn't believe in playing or promoting youth? Because I haven't watched his stuff at Eintracht Frankfurt. So, I mean, pardon me, but you could probably correct me on that. He came in as a manager with the reputation that he likes to play young players. And yeah, I think because, because the same reason that is it being a result-oriented business and Bayern being the gargantuan club that we are, it's, it took a bit of a toll on him. And the thing is, last season, he did quite a lot of rotation. He couldn't have a stable lineup and stuff like that. And results weren't showing. The fact that, you know, we had a nine, we had a nine-point gap behind Dortmund. And we had to literally rely on the, those buggers to bottle the league for him to win it. I mean, not, I'm not taking anything away from Kovac. To still come back from a nine-point gap and win the league is a big deal. But, but let's face it, having to deal, having to go to a big club like Bayern along with the fact that the, UC, the UCL uh, elimination to Liverpool was humiliating. It was humiliating. And I was just not consistently good. Football is not consistently good. And it's just that, you know, I think... All these factors, when you when you consider that he needed to achieve results, he needed to win trophies, which is obviously an expectation of the club. That mattered more, I guess, and I don't blame him for that. But when you are when you are the coach of a club that is having its transition period, where you need to either get in new stars or usher in new youth, you have to do that because he was brought in as the coach to to lead the transition. And I don't think any transition has happened because he, in, if I'm not wrong, in one of the press conferences earlier this season or towards the end, second half, I think, second half or towards the end of last season, he said a 21-man squad is, is enough for a whole season. Now, tell me, in which, which top league in the world where you're competing across three different competitions, bare minimum, and playing close to uh, about 40, 45, 50 games a season is 21 players enough. Especially when there will come points of time where you're playing six or six or seven games in a three-week period. No, I mean, you kind of, I mean, I, I agree. It's it's not enough. And especially in 
today's current world where people tend to get injured because they play more international friendlies are always inter- interspersed with all of these league cups uh, I mean league matches and everything but you know it kind of reminds me of speaking to a liverpool fan and he also said the same thing about Jurgen Klopp when he was at Dortmund that he used to be he used to kind of be okay with a small squad but i suppose again when was Dortmund really wasn't at that point competing on so many fronts like Bayern is and i think he could cope with it but when he came to liverpool and liverpool had an extra cup in the league cup they used to play maybe not regularly in champions league but at least europa league and all those kind of things he found it difficult with a lot of injuries and given that we don't even have a transfer break at that we didn't have a transfer break at that point so i kind of see where kovac was coming from but i completely agree with that he had to change if he was to kind of keep his job in bayern munich for a longer period but coming to that do you think then the onus is on like the ceo and the own i mean not the owners particularly but the board of uh, bayern munich that they need to give managers time longer periods of time like you said it's not really a managers club but to give them a longer period of time so that they can kind of promote youth i don't necessarily agree to that for the simple reason that when you're in any club results matter more than the film and more and more so case i mean results matter most of the, more than the philosophy at hand yes it matters that we should have youth cup players come in and maybe an expectation is set but then that's down to the manager the manager has signed up for this he's getting paid the money for the other huge money to do it i'm i do i know it's wrong to bring in money as a factor but basically he signed he knows what he's signed up for so it, if if it's been established that these are the objectives expected of the of the manager then he has to he has to manage to figure out a way to fulfill those objectives otherwise he's in trouble with his job okay i'm mean, fair i mean i i i guess i have to agree i i it's not really something that i believe too much as well i think the onus is again on the managers to to balance both to kind of at in a club such as bayern munich where expectations are set so high that you do need to balance both playing your first team and winning trophies and winning matches as well as kind of you don't have to implement uh, inject the entire youth academy but inject a couple of players here and there when possible especially at times when there are injuries so but i mean you were kind of mentioning that it's taken a 10 year period for a new batch a new generation of really good youth academy prospects to come in so i mean what happened to the ones before that do they do they move abroad and do you kind of see a similar trend happening to players right now who are not getting a chance in the first team that they kind of look at other leagues of in maybe the in it in syria or in somewhere like the portuguese league or la liga and kind of move places or do you think the bundesliga is so different that i mean the culture is so different that they will stick to bayern munich and probably maybe go down to another team in bundesliga and play there where they play more regularly i think it depends on which level the club feels they're capable of playing because how it works i'm not sure about how it works in england but in spain it's like a reserve team can play a maximum of one tier below the top flight like let's say if Or, I mean, so in in the in the in the level which the main team is playing. So let's say if Barcelona and Real Madrid are playing in La Liga, the reserve teams can play at a maximum level of Segunda A. Now in Germany, how it works is 
reserves can play a maximum of two levels below the to below the main team. So for if now Bayern's new team recently, uh, Bayern reserves recently. I mean, last season we qualified for the third division, so this year we're playing in the third division. But even if we were to win the third division, we would not get promoted to the second division simply because that's the rule. Now third division and and the Bundesliga are completely different ball games. So it all depends on which level the players are actually capable of playing because. Like, uh, if I have to take an example, uh, Mehmet Shaw's son, Lucas Julian Shaw, he Mehmet Shaw is a legend in Bayern. But his son, who was who was a Bayern youth product, was just not good enough. And I'm not wrong; he's playing in a third division team in Germany now. Uh, John Luca Gardino is playing right now in Switzerland. So it's it all depends on which level these players are capable of playing and how they manage to address these challenges that they're thrown with because. There will be times when coaches will not show the faith in them, and they have to take conscious calls of where they want to go. Because Gaudino has been a very, a very journeyman type of person. He's gone to, uh, he's gone to Switzerland. He had gone to Kiev or Verona as well. So there, it all depends on the situation, and I think it has more to do with the players and their level, and you know, well, what sort of thing are they looking for? Whether they just want to immediately play, or whether they're willing to wait it out of our five days because. Um, coming back to the topic of Yip again, he played. He played a team with, I think, six Bayern youth products versus Frankfurt in the league in the second in the second half of the of the league in seventeen eighteen, and we beat Frankfurt four one. Now that team had about six youth products, including Niklas Dorsch. Now Niklas Dorsch is playing in Heidenheim, if I'm not wrong, which is in the second division of Germany, that is the Bundesliga two, and that's because he wanted regular game time. That's again dependent on what he wants, what Dosh wanted. Dosh, I felt, should have been given more of a chance, should have had his contract renewed. But then, I think that was just down to the fact that you know he felt he was not going to get chances and he just wanted to go elsewhere. So there's a lot of things involved here as well. But I feel it's a combination of the play of the player's ability, along with what they're looking for, whether they want to immediately play or whether they want to fight for a spot and prove their worth at a club like Bayern. Okay. I mean, yeah. So, okay. It's it's not. I wouldn't say it's similar to what it is in England. I mean, England doesn't have a league as such. Like the. I mean, it's not like you have a tier or something like that. Uh, in England, it, they have their own under eighteen league or under twenty three leagues where they play. It's not like they call it the second or third division like Coca Cola one or Championship level. So, uh, it, it it's interesting. But I mean. Obviously, in England, you have a lot of teams who have that loan system model where they loan a lot of these youth players out to German clubs and uh, Syria clubs and what are these lower sides in La Liga who who require players and who can afford to play them on a regular basis. Uh, but I think it's again, like you said, it's all down to the player, how good he is, how where he wants to go, and his decision. So fair enough. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this. So. What was your favorite moment from 2019 as a Bayern Munich fan? I would say my favorite moment of 2019 was Joshua Zogzi getting his debut, scoring in his debut with his first touch, and then doing the same thing on the next the next match day and the final league game of Bayern's for the decade. Because that boy is a phenomenal youth. He's being wasted in the reserves because our reserves coach is not good enough. And 
it just shows that you know this boy he can go places with the fact that he's got so much intelligence and ability in what he does and just needs to be given more time and more chances the fact that flick has brought him on as a sub in both those games and he sco- ended up scoring the winner in both games shows and it it makes me feel happy because he was brought in from a dutch club as i think as a 15 year old and now as a 18 or 19 year old he scored two winners for bayern in his first two youth games one of which was his debut for bayern the bayern senior team itself oh well you know you're talking to like a proper bayern fan when he starts talking about his youth as his favorite moment and not the 7-1 or 7-2 drubbing of spurs nor the niko kovac <laughs> the sacking nor winning a bundesliga and umpteenth number of time i mean that that's refreshing i don't think i'll ever hear that in a podcast unless someone really surprises me again but what was your not so favorite moment from 2019 easy being humiliated at i actually no, i have two moments being humiliated at frankfurt 5-1 and being humiliated at home versus liverpool because i don't it doesn't matter that we were outplayed we didn't we are we see ever missing some per key personnel due to suspensions and injury but the very fact that his post match uh, niko kovac his post match comments just didn't sit well with me he told he thought that the system he thought that you know he was doing well with a particular type of system and style of play which worked versus wolfsburg and versus munchengladbach and he thought it would work the same versus liverpool now wouldn't club do his homework and see what sort of system niko kovac is playing like really how can he be so bloody daft sounds like it's all so schoolboy i get that you know he speaks from his heart and what not but sometimes when things go as bad as getting humiliated at home in the champions league yeah you don't really want to hear something that is as pure and honest as that you'd rather hear that you know i just shows i think it just shows the wrong system for the day when pep guardiola got humiliated i mean when we got humiliated under pep guardiola using 4-0 to real madrid at home he told it was it was the biggest tactical fuck up of his career and everyone agrees to that you don't you want to you don't want to hear something like someone telling I, it worked versus these teams that's why i thought i'll use it versus this team as well how stupid does that sound i mean given that liverpool is nothing like the wolves or anything like that if at all it's probably the opposite uh to that so i mean yeah i i i i mean if he said that then it's it's probably second to if he said like dortmund were the best team but yeah i mean it's pretty bad okay and what was your favorite moment from the entire decade as a bayern munich fan easy may 25th 2013 winning the champions league at wembley because that was redemption we finished second in every single competition one season prior losing the champions league at home losing the losing the league by we bottled it basically we bottled the lead not a nine point lead but we did bottle it decently i think about five to six points and dortmund won the league they hammered us in the pokal final and we went on to win it all the next season i mean if that's not redemption if that's not redemption I don't know what is, and if that's not a story of a fan who's seen you, who's been, who's seen the team finish, who's come so far but just to miss out on that final spot, on that final moment, 
and I don't know what is because I had tears in my eyes the day when we won the Champions League. I still felt it was fuck all to have the, the cup final scheduled after the Champions League, but then such is such is the sport and such is the sporting bodies that take those decisions. But the fact that we won the treble itself in its own was gargantuan. Yeah, I mean uh, that included one of the best matches in terms of. Beat uh, oh well best semi-finals or was it when you beat uh, Barcelona seven nil? I don't think I've ever seen that kind of a destruction to a Barcelona team. But also, I mean that Bayern Munich team was probably the scariest team I've ever watched live. I wasn't watching football when the AC Milan team of the early two thousands was there, and I feel watching that would have also made me as scared as this. This, I think, the Barcelona team of two thousand eleven was very very good, and the Bayern Munich team for some reason just scared me. It's like, thank God I wasn't. We weren't in the Champions League then because I think we would have just been humiliated with the squad that we had. But uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, okay. And what was your not so favorite moment from the past decade? Easy, being screwed over versus Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu for two straight uh, for two straight seasons in a row. We took a side screwed us and we lost four two. And the next season, we we drew two two, but ended up losing on aggregate, which we should have won if we were given two big penalty calls in the in that se- in that semi final second leg. When it come to when it came to Victor Casai, he just screwed us in the biggest screw job since uh, Barcelona versus Chelsea. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You can imagine how, and that's that. I wasn't angry that we lost. I was. I wasn't sad that we lost. I was angry because we were screwed over. Like literally, Rumenega told this on, on the uh, at the club dinner after the match. Telling we got uh, in, uh, telling basically that in a not so polite way, he basically said we've been screwed over. So you can imagine how pissed off he must have been to say that at a club dinner. I I can imagine I can imagine I I I saw both of them and I yeah I can I had I'd have to agree with you. You brought up Barcelona versus Chelsea, which was probably the worst UEFA match in terms of refereeing. This comes like a close second, and the fact that I see this these two matches or the decisions, the pictures of the decisions on Twitter even now, kind of shows how much of a an importance or significance it plays in Bayern Munich's. Fans' hearts. Uh, I I know it. It it didn't feel that great at the point, but I think you've Let done. Let me put it this way: the 2017 screw job, Lewandowski was injured, Max Hummels was injured, Boateng was injured, three of our star players were injured. We played. And Neuer broke his leg mid-match and still played the full match. We got screwed over because Vidal was sent off for a clean tackle. He should have been sent off earlier. I agree. Casemiro should not have been on the pitch. Ronaldo got two offside goals, and and they ended up beating us four uh, three one on uh yeah three one on the night. No, I said I think they beat us four two or three one. Whatever it doesn't matter. But basically, we got screwed over so badly that night, and we dominated them at the Santiago Bernabeu in spite of all those injuries, in spite of everything. So you can imagine. And here's the thing: you could see how Real Madrid. Fared after VAR came into the picture in the Champions League. If VAR was there at that time, those two seasons, they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have made it as far as they did by being triple winners. And I can tell you for a fact, they don't deserve. And I'm saying this out loud out of bitterness, but also with conviction. 
2017 Champions League win was not deserved because of how we got screwed over. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm going to comment on that because my memories aren't that great of, on those two, of those two nights. But yes, I do recall the decisions going quite, I mean, being quite bad, especially for a Bayern Munich fan and for the Bayern Munich team. So uh, I'd have to agree with you there. Uh, in terms of whether or not Real Madrid deserved it, I think we should have a separate conversation with like a Real Madrid fan as well and then get their thoughts on it. So that'll be fun. But anyway, what going forward now, given that it's the start of a new decade, what do you expect yep. from the Bayern Munich squad? Do you see Flick injecting or promoting more youth into this team? Like you mentioned, three players, my uh, Davies and... I, I can't pronounce the last guy's name, but I say Zerzee, if, if at all, I'm I, right. So, do you see them play a more important an important role in the current squad? Or what are your expectations, basically? My expectation is Lucas Pai needs to be given chances. All our centre-backs have, are injured and it's going to take a while for most of them to come back. And right now, we don't even have the depth for it. It just shows the fact that, you know, we're playing Alfonso Davies as a left-back, even though he's actually a left-winger, but being converted to a left-back, how badly our depth is affected. And uh, we either need to inject youth or we need to just fight, fight players because, let's put it this our only defensive midfielder is injured, our, on, our top, our star striker is injured, our, our two wingers are injured, our right-back basically wants to play in midfield and we don't have and our, our centre back who is also capable of playing a right back is playing right back because of that. We and literally Kimik put this as a comment saying, you know, we can't go into a score we can't go into the second half of the season having only thirteen to fourteen fit players. So it shows how bad the state of affairs are and yeah. So the so new second half was basically all the youth and old right playing that uh, half and we got hammered. It just shows that they're not necessarily ready. But then you need to throw young players in the deep end to find out who's ready and who's not. But that comes with its own, its own gamble because if they're ready and they do well, you've got a bunch of players who can actually either be squad depth or slowly integrate. But if they screw up and it takes a toll on their confidence and morale, that is very difficult to recover from as a youth player. But I believe some of these players are ready and it shows in the fact that Zergzi is getting game time as a sub and has scored two winners back-to-back. And... We have some really good young other youngsters in Oliver Batista Meyer, Leon Dajaku, uh, Malik Tillman, for, for, for just to name <coughs> just to name a few. So yeah, it needs to be done. But at the same time, we do need some elite players uh, because this club cannot just function. This club is at a point where rebuilding is not possible. You have to carry a transition where you mix both because. As I mentioned earlier, you can't keep blowing money for one and spending ludicrous amounts on good players, no matter how much it may be worth it, because the market is that screwed up and it is not. Fi- it will not necessarily be financially viable for the club as a whole as well. And uh, do you? How long do you see Flick continue his managerial career at Bayern Munich? See it being a success? That is, I'd say, in current modern world, that'll be three to four years or. Do you see someone else come in and take the reins sometime soon? I personally wanted Eric Ten Hag to be at Bayern. But Flick be involved in some capacity in the club because 
At the time where none of the players were happy under Kovac, Flick was the was the one with the human touch and checking on players, keeping them company, and you know, trying to make them feel okay and like this, uh, console them when things were not going their way. And it shows this is when all the players are backing him. I may use a very very vague term. It's Klopp-esque in terms of having that human touch as a coach, which most coaches don't even have today. So I personally feel. Flick is going to be is going to be a very very important cog for the Bayern setup. I would like him to stay as long as possible, even if not as head coach, as an assistant coach to whoever comes in. Now, how long he stays depends on and on what role he gets depends on how successful he is at the end of the season. <laughs> Because success defines everything at big clubs. Yeah, I mean, like it's interesting because I like you said. Even if he isn't a head coach, the fact that he he knows the players in and out, he's like like you said a Klopp-esque kind of figure in Bayern Munich setup. That is 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 a characteristic or is a trait that is not found in a lot of people, like you said. And so it's very valuable, and so, like you wouldn't want to lose that. And if anybody in the Bayern hierarchy was to notice that, then I think it only bode well for Bayern Munich. Absolutely. All right. So I guess that's all the time we have for this particular part. Thanks, Vijay, for being a part of this podcast and giving your insights into the Bayern Youth Academy, the youth setup. I mean, I'm pretty sure most people, including me, didn't know much about it, and as well as how to go, how Bayern will probably go about promoting them. So thanks for that. It's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be on board. and uh, we'll definitely catch up soon like i mean if the if at a time we get a bayern munich versus real madrid fixture it'll be really really fun given your thoughts on the history between the two clubs but uh yeah i mean thanks again for tuning in if you've been listening all the way from part 1 thanks for staying long for as long as you could i mean it really shows that we're putting out good content as well as i'm glad that you're enjoying it for those of you who've just joined us i'd recommend go back to part 1 and listen to it all over again we've got we've spoken to a lot of people from different clubs so different perspectives so who doesn't like that right and you can catch part 16 and upwards in the next coming days we'll definitely be uploading throughout the month of january you can also leave a like drop in a comment or let us know if you'd like to be a part of the podcast too you can also subscribe to the podcast channel as well as follow us on twitter so i guess that's it for episode 24 part 15 wow that's a mouthful i'm your host pradi and see you